I'd like to read for us this morning from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. It's been a great study, and this text this morning is one of those wonderful, amazing stories about Jesus. Listen to what the Word of God says. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving with, excuse me, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text this morning, I ask that you would speak through me to communicate your truth this morning. Uh, it is such an awesome passage. It is just sometimes overwhelming to think about who Jesus is and what these disciples experienced. And I pray, Father, that you would burn this truth in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. In his name we pray, amen. One of the most unique places that Gail and I have ever been to is Bryce Canyon in Utah. And probably many of you have been there. This is a picture that I took there of the hoodoos that it is known for, those kind of pillars or statues that are throughout the park. One of the unique things about Bryce Canyon is that even though it's called a canyon, there's no river that runs through it. It's not like the Grand Canyon with the Colorado River that's been flowing through it for centuries. Uh, there's, there's no river there. All of these formations are formed because of freezing and thawing, wind and rain, heating, cooling, melting, all those things. And over uh, hundreds of years, you have these amazing formations. These spires are called hoodoos. Um, they have different names. Some of them are named things like Lot's wife or like Thor's hammer. And uh, it's very interesting because you can actually walk down among them. You can go down from the top of the canyon and follow the trails and walk among these hoodoos. And it's a pretty surreal kind of place to visit. If you've never been there, I would recommend it. But today we're going to talk about something, actually someone, who is even more amazing and more unique, and that is Jesus. We have been working our way through Luke's gospel, and we've seen that one of the things that Luke has highlighted is this question, who is Jesus? 
We talked about that last week, how on numerous points through this gospel, people are asking the question, who is this man? And we've heard the response of the crowds who think that he's a prophet, maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe one of the other prophets that's come back to life. The disciples have come to the conviction by watching and hearing and spending time with Jesus that he is indeed the Messiah, God's chosen one. But in this passage, we will hear the ultimate answer, and it comes from the voice of God himself. That's amazing. God is speaking, and he will answer that question, who is Jesus? You know, as I was studying this passage this week, and on Monday I was here and I was doing some work on it, and as I was thinking about it and praying, um, I just, I honestly was so overwhelmed that I had to stop. I had to stop in my study. I had to just get down on my knees and pray and worship Jesus. There is no one like him. When you read these accounts and you see and hear what the disciples saw and heard, you stand in amazement. And that's what I want to bring out today, the uniqueness of Jesus. Number one, Jesus is unique in his glory. And we see that in verses 28 and 29. We look at this text and here it says that about eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. What was it that he had said? Well, if you go back to verse 27, he had just told them that I tell you the truth, that some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And most of the commentators believe that the transfiguration is the answer to what Jesus was saying that these three disciples, the inner three, Peter, John, and James, who were so privileged to spend this time with Jesus and now were invited with him up on the mountain, saw his glory revealed. They saw the kingdom of God breaking into our world in the person of Jesus. And here again, uh, when it says about eight days, that's just an expression for a week. It's a way of saying uh, one week later these events took place. We don't know which mountain it was with certainty. The traditional site is Mount Tabor, which is not far from the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth and that area. But most believe that the mountain that is referred to here was Mount Hermon, which is farther to the north. It's by Caesarea Philippi where Peter had made this confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the reason for that was that in those days Mount Tabor had a fort on top of it. And it's not really that kind of remote or isolated place where it appears that this happened. Mount Hermon is much larger, much higher. It is near Caesarea Philippi and we think that it was there that Jesus took these disciples up on the mountain to pray. That was his custom. He often did that. And we have many times where we see in Scripture when Jesus, before significant events in his life and ministry, would go to pray. And here we see that the disciples had gone with them, and Luke tells us that they were very sleepy. It's likely that Jesus, again, was spending the night in prayer. The disciples have fallen asleep, and then when they wake up and kind of clear the sleep out of their eyes, they see this amazing sight. 
they see Jesus in his glory and two men who are standing with them. And they tell us that the appearance of Jesus' face was changed as his glory shone through. And his clothes were like nothing they had ever seen. They became as bright as a flash of lightning. And you can imagine what that's like. I mean, all of us have seen lightning. If you've ever been close to it, it is pretty intense to look at. They saw that. They saw Jesus' glory and they understood in a way that they had never understood before that Jesus is the Son of God. The kingdom of God came into our world in the person of Jesus. And these authors of Scripture, these apostles who witnessed that, said this. John, for example, in his Gospel said that the Word, this Word who had been with God and was God, became flesh And he made his dwelling among us. When it says he made his dwelling among us, it means literally he tabernacled among us. Jesus was like that tabernacle in the Old Testament where God appeared and he filled that place. Now Jesus comes and he is in human flesh, but he is God. He is that God-man. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. A few verses later, he will say that no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, has made him known. This one who is at the Father's side. Who is that one? It is Jesus. Charles Wesley wrote these words in his great Christmas carol that all of us know. Hark, the herald angels sing. He said, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. He is God with us. They saw his glory. The glory of the one and only God. Philip Brooks, that well-known preacher from the 19th century, made an interesting comment on this passage. He had said, if we had been told that God was going to come into our world and into a man's life, we would think that something very terrible and awful was going to happen on one side. He said that because of this. He said, when God appeared in the bush in the wilderness to Moses, what happened? That bush was on fire. When God came down on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, the earth quaked, the mountain trembled, there was smoke, there was fire. But when God came to earth in the form of a tiny baby that was born in Bethlehem, he looked very much like us. God in human flesh dwelling there. And from all outward appearances, he seemed just like us it was only in a time like this on the transfiguration when that glory that was veiled shone through but why is that it is because man is made in the image of God and so when God became a man that relationship was intended to be so close already that the glory that we see in man is a reflection of God's glory as well. And it's an interesting thought. It's one of those things that I've been chewing on this week as I think about it. 
not only about Jesus, God incarnate, but how in each of our lives, when we come to know Jesus, He dwells in us. His Holy Spirit is present in us. And if our eyes were attuned and open that we could see it, we could see the glory of Christ in each person here who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's a transforming work. He does His work to purify our hearts and to make us more and more like Jesus. But it is not so disruptive that there's a discontinuity. Man was made in the image of God. And because of that, when Jesus dwells in us, we become man fully alive. Jesus is unique in His glory. Jesus is also unique in His passion. And by passion, I am referring to his suffering, that older use of that word, passion. Who were the two men that spoke with Jesus? Well, they are identified as Moses and Elijah, two powerful Old Testament figures. Moses was the lawgiver. He was the deliverer. He is a type of Christ. Elijah, a great prophet and miracle worker, uh, and that age in which the prophets were appearing on the scene and God was going to work through them. But both of these individuals, Moses and Elijah, had unusual deaths. I mean, Moses was not permitted to enter the promised land. He could only see it from afar, from the mountaintop. And the scripture tells us that God took Moses and he buried him, and no one knew where, and no one knows where to this day he had this unusual, extraordinary death. And Elijah, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, and he's walking with Elisha, the person that he has mentored, and Elijah wants and asks Elijah for this double blessing. It's the right of the firstborn, the inheritance. He wants to inherit the mantle of Elijah as the next prophet. And Elijah said to him, well, if you see me when I go, it will happen for you. And Elijah was taken up to heaven in this glorious chariot of fire. And his body, again, could not be found. Because of their unusual deaths, both were thought to be eschatological figures. That eschatology has to do with the last times or last days. That's what that word means. And the people believed that these two figures would play a role in the end times. Most believe that they are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 who will come back in that period when Jesus is going to return again. And they are there. Both, interestingly, were followed by a Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Moses was followed by Joshua, that's Yeshua, who brought the people into the promised land. Elijah was followed by Elisha, which is a form of Yeshua. And so here it is that for both of these individuals in their ministries, they are pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is greater than both of them. When they appear with him on the mountaintop, it is Jesus who has the greater glory. It is Jesus who is being served by them. They have come to strengthen him. And what did they talk about? 
they spoke about his departure. And the word for departure there in Greek is the same word that's used for exodus. It brings you back to the book of Exodus. That just as God chose Moses to deliver the Israelites from their bondage to slavery, so God chose Jesus to deliver us from our bondage to sin. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, but he is more than that. He is God in human flesh. And this is the reason why Jesus came, to be our Savior and our Redeemer. Many years ago, a mother of a nine-year-old boy named Mark received a phone call in the middle of the afternoon. It was the teacher from her son's school. And she said, Mrs. Smith, something unusual happened today in your son's third grade class. Your son did something so unusual that surprised me that I thought you should know about it immediately. That's when she began to be worried. It's not maybe the kind of call as a parent you're thinking of getting, and when you do get it, you're maybe imagining in your mind the worst, but it was not that way. The teacher continued and said, nothing like this has happened in all my years of teaching. This morning I was teaching a lesson on creative writing, and as I always do, I tell the story of the ant and the grasshopper. The ant works hard all summer, stores up plenty of food, but the grasshopper plays all summer and does no work, and then winter comes. The grasshopper begins to starve, and he has no food, so he begs, Please, Mr. Ant, you have much food. Please, let me eat too. And then I say, boys and girls, your job is to write an ending to the story. Well, your son raised his hand and said, teacher, may I draw a picture? And I said, well, yes, but first you must write an ending to the story and then you can show me your picture. Well, as in all the years past, most of the students said that the ant shared his food through the winter and both the ant and the grasshopper lived. A few children wrote, no, Mr. Grasshopper, you should have worked in the summer. Now I have just enough food for myself. So the ant lived and the grasshopper died. But your son ended the story in a way that is different from any other child that I've ever had. He wrote, so the ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper. The grasshopper lived through the winter, but the ant died. And the picture at the bottom of the page, Mark had drawn three crosses. Three crosses. Here's a boy who understood the gospel. That Jesus died so that we could live. He didn't have to do that. He willingly did that because of his great love for us. And there are examples in history of people who have lay down their life for someone else or have sacrificed themselves so someone else might live. But no one could do that for our souls. No one could pay the penalty that we deserve because of our sin except one who was righteous, one who was innocent, and that one is Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, he said he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again.
Jesus is unique in his passion, his suffering. And thirdly, Jesus is unique in his sonship. We see that in verses 33 to 36. Peter, who has been watching all of this, sees now that the two men are leaving Jesus. And he blurts out, well, let's put up three shelters, you know, kind of like one for each of you. Luke adds this comment that he didn't know what he was saying. You know, I could kind of hear Peter telling this story years later and laughing about it and going, I don't know, you know. (laughs) You know, maybe Peter thought, It was a good thing to do, you know, something to do with his hands or to show them respect. Maybe he just didn't want this mountaintop experience to end, you know, and let's keep these guys together. But he was wrong once again. He didn't understand fully what was happening here, and his suggestion was not appropriate. And while he was speaking, a cloud enveloped them. And they were afraid. This was no ordinary cloud. They sensed something here. They sensed someone here. And then a voice spoke from within the cloud. God the Father was speaking with his own voice. And he said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Who is Jesus? He is God's one and only Son. He's the chosen one, our Savior, the Messiah. And we would do well to listen to Him. You know, every time I read this passage, I I mean, I hear Evie Hill, that African-American pastor who spoke on this passage, and it made such an impression on me that God made this statement at Jesus' baptism and he made it here in the transfiguration. On the one, he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And here, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And Evie Hill made that comment. He said, you know, God didn't say that about anyone else. He never said that about Moses. He never said it about Joshua. He didn't say it about Muhammad. He didn't say it about Buddha. He didn't say it about anyone else in our world. But this one, this one standing right here, this is my son. Listen to him. What was wrong with Peter's suggestion to build three shelters there on the mountaintop? Well, for one thing, Jesus has no equal. You don't put up three shelters or three shrines as though these are all equal. The disciples didn't need to go to three different individuals. They just needed to hear the voice of Jesus. And Jesus, he would not be deterred from his mission, his passion. He had set his face on going to Jerusalem He was going there to pay that penalty that we deserved, and he would not be deterred or delayed in that. And the cloud that enveloped them, well, that was the Shekinah glory. That was the same cloud that Moses and the Israelites had seen in the wilderness on Mount Sinai when the mountain glowed with fire and the glory of God came down. 
And if anyone was looking at Mount Hermon that day, they would have very likely seen it glowing as well. God was present in that cloud. And God was present in Jesus. Think of it. Kent Hughes writes that this was the pillar of the Exodus. It was the cloud that led Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. This was the cloud that so filled the tabernacle when it was built with God's glory that Moses could not enter it. This was the cloud that so filled the temple that Solomon had built in the Old Testament that the priest could not enter it. And it was the same glory that Ezekiel saw leave that temple and go out across the threshold and go over the eastern gate and go out to the Mount of Olives and it departed because of the apostasy of Israel. Not to return until Jesus came into our world. And Jesus is that glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shone like the sun. His body was like lightning. And this is the one who would pray on the night of his death. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Everything signified by the pillar of fire is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is that pillar. Jesus is the one who leads us. Jesus is the glory of God today. And you know the amazing thing? Is that that same Christ lives in all who open their heart to Him and receive Him as Savior and Lord. When we admit our sin, when we turn to Christ and we invite Him to come into our life, Christ dwells in us. And Paul wrote about that in Colossians 1.27. He said, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a mystery how God can dwell in us, but He does. And He is present among all who believe in Him. Well, this event would leave a profound and lasting impression upon Peter. If we had been there, it would have done the same for us. And near the end of Peter's life, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he wrote these words. He said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter never forgot the glory of Christ. And it was that love and that glory that motivated him all his life. Jesus is unique in His glory. Jesus is unique in His passion. Jesus is unique in His sonship. Listen to Him. You know, when I come to a passage like this and I I hear it, I want to worship the living Christ, but I want to take those words to heart to listen to Him every single day. 
His words are good. His words are true. His words are life. And that's why we need to be a people who are spending time with Him in the Word and prayer every single day. There's no greater message. There's no greater truth that we could know. And if we are going to counteract the temptations of this world or the bad news that comes into our world or the discouragement of the world, we need hope and we need truth. We need a word from Jesus. Let's make that our commitment. Let's pray. Father, how good your word is. And when I think of this passage today, how awesome, how powerful that would have been to have seen Jesus just like that. And yet we who have come into a relationship can have fellowship with you every single day in your word and in prayer. Father, would you strengthen your people who are gathered here this morning? Would you encourage their hearts? Would you help them to deal with life's challenges as they come our way? And may we continue to walk with you and be a witness for Christ in our community. We pray this in your name. Amen.